Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such, of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. We haven't done this. I'll just pray for Chris as he as he comes up to preach his sermon. Um, we pray with me, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for our brother Chris. Thank you for all the gifts that you have given him. Spirit, may you move through him powerfully now, encouraging him to speak confidently and clearly um, with your power in him. God, may you open our hearts and our minds to what you want to reveal to each of us tonight, and may we all walk away with something to apply in our lives today. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Sophie. Oh, I can hear myself. It's good. Um, I was told this morning it's hard to hear yourself from this side of the stage, but it's nice to know you can hear it. It's great. 
Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Chris. I am a ministry trainee here, and I started earlier this year. Um, so we're about three or four months into the journey, and uh, I have been given this absolute privilege to open up God's words with you today. Um, and how encouraging has it been to keep hearing through all the different readings from the day about what Jesus has really done for us and what that means for us as we live in this world. So please do keep this handy with you. We're gonna keep referring to it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, even better, refer to that. So over the last month, uh, all over the world, Christians have been reflecting on undeniable events surrounding Christ, particularly his last days. Here at St. Jude's on Good Friday, we heard about this terrible darkness that descended on earth as Christ hung on Calvary on our behalf. And as he was hanging on there, he took all of God's wrath and punishment that was rightfully deserving of us. Last Sunday, the message got a lot brighter as we celebrated Easter Sunday together, or Jesus' resurrection. This is the very reason, as Alex preached, that we can have full confidence in who Jesus is because everything that was spoken about him and everything that is to happen in the future is all attested by this one single event, his rising up and being seated beside the Father. And so, that's where we start today, knowing that we too have actually already been raised up with Christ. So today we start some 62 years or so uh, after Jesus' death, and we meet Paul, who writes a letter to the church in Colossae, a church who he hasn't met yet in person at this stage. And he starts it in great thankfulness, saying, we have heard so much when he says we, it's him and Timothy. He says, we've heard so much about how well you've received the message of the gospel and how you've responded to it, which is the most important part. It's one thing to receive it, it's another thing to walk it out. And so he goes on to encourage them, saying, we pray for you all the time, knowing what this has changed in you. And then he goes on in chapter two with some warnings. He says, watch out because there are some in the habit of falling into false worship and false humility. These are the things that are a result of us trying to please God our own ways or looking within and trying to keep moral standards or Christians might use the word to be legalistic. Don't be like them, he says, and he continues to encourage them, have full assurance of your identity in Christ. And so, as Paul does, he uses a lot of imagery. We are gonna see these words right through our passage today. Put on and take off. So think deeply as we go through today about what that means. Let me start with a little bit of a picture. I've spoken to quite a few of you already now, uh, and I will try my best to keep speaking to everyone. There's a lot of new people, which is great. Now, one thing that is quite common among us is that we love sport, particularly here in Melbourne. Um, and one of the things with this is, you can tell who belongs to what team by what they wear and how they conduct themselves. Now, for me, I'm a fan of rugby union, coming from New Zealand, go the All Blacks. Yes, thanks, Georgia. <laughs> Uh, but for everyone else here, for everyone else's benefit, whether you follow Formula One or you follow the Hawks in footy or whatever your team might be, you know the person by what they wear and how they carry themselves. And so, 
if someone is a true follower of that team, what we see is all their conduct and their values, the songs, their chants, what they stand for is represented by that jersey that they wear. And they want to do that as well as they can. Now, they do this even though they've really not contributed much apart from maybe 100 bucks or so for the jersey because they haven't really given any credibility to the team. But we still wear it with that pride and we carry that out. Now, we also know equally they have to take something off in order to represent that. So everything that's not that team, they take that off. And so we continue to look at this and when we look at the picture of sport, it does stop there because that identity is very temporary. What we see today is a much more permanent identity and what Christ gives for us uh, through what he did for us. And so our passage today pushes all of us as Christians to think much deeper about the life that we have already died to and as a result, the things that we've been called to take off ourselves. In its place, we've heard, we've, given, we've been given a new identity and so we put on something that helps us reflect that and gives us that responsibility to walk it out. So turn with me to your new sheets and let's see how these first four verses begin. And you'll notice that I've got a question at the very top. This is the big question I believe Paul is gonna help us answer today uh, in our passage. So let's see how he starts. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Some translations put it as if then, but this is not in any way to say that this is a hypothetical situation or a just imagine this and let's go from there. It is not that. Paul speaks with absolute conviction as he says these words, because he says, brothers and sisters, because Jesus has risen, your eternal status has already changed. You've been raised with him. It's in the past tense. And so don't forget it, it's very important. Something has changed about you and something has changed in you. So travel with me as we go through this. And so he says, set your hearts and set your minds on things that are above. That which unites us as one body, that's which leads us to life, and that which points us to Christ who is seated uh, at the right hand of the Father. So we know that the ways of this earth are already corrupted as a result of sin, and that leads us to death, both physically and spiritually. And so we know that one day we will all breathe our last. And so if you have turned to Christ, as Paul suggests here to the Christians, he says, if you have turned to him and are sorry for your sins, you have this eternal hope now. And so I'm gonna encourage you the same way that Paul does here with the church in Colossae. My friend, you've been given a new life and it's a forever life. Now, because we are now talking about the forever life, this is what is now hidden in Christ as what Paul says. But it's not hidden for long. It will be revealed when he comes again in glory and brings you home. But how you live here does matter. So he says, he who is our life will come again and when he comes, he will judge the world and call believers home. This is when all that is hidden will be revealed to us. 
And so we don't cling then to a false hope, but one of complete assurance. And so we know that as we do this, uh, when I say this, I mean as we look upward to Christ, we set all of our affections heavenward and we learn truly how to live as Christians here as we pass through this life. So let's look at what the next few verses have to say. So we now turn to what it looks like to turn our hearts and minds away from the ways of this world. And so we'll see exactly what we're trying to take off from what Paul says. Friends, when we are called to a Christian life or when we're called to follow Christ, we are always being asked to chip away at behaviors, patterns of this world, patterns of the things that have already been completely defeated on our behalf by Christ. And so these things are the natures that which deserved God's right punishment. And so when we one day say yes to Jesus, it's not that these things just magically fall off. It's a part of our commitment and our walks with Christ that we actually do these things consciously. And so the Bible instructs us, as Paul does here, to strive and turn away from that which separated us from a very holy God. And so what we're now gonna see is a list of things, and I wanna make this part clear. I don't think Paul's intentions, in fact, I know Paul's intentions here are not to give you a list of things that you do and you don't. He's not giving you a, a list of moral standards. And so what he says here is, actually, in chapter two, he actually deals with this very issue, and he says, don't turn to these ways because that doesn't save you. I think what he's doing here is helping us examine ourselves and then deal with what is in our hearts and in our minds. And so the call here is to be intentional in how we live now for Jesus while we wait for him to return. It's an objective way to look within for ourselves to judge ourselves, not to judge others, while we pursue this life of holiness. And because Jesus' words are always the best, I'm gonna quote this from Luke's gospel in chapter six. Jesus says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I think this is quite profound as Paul now expounds on this very idea. Look with me to the first things that Paul addresses. These are the things of our heart, the private stuff or what we think is hidden from others. God sees everything. And so in verse five, he says this, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We all know what this looks like in our lives. We hear about it all the time. And if you've been around the church community, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the things that we are also always bombarded with when we watch TV, the ads that we get targeted, the things that we do when we're actually not in front of others. And you know what I mean. Our entertainment, our conversations. So is it then an outrageous thing for Paul to say this? Don't we all struggle with this at an individual 
and at a corporate level? You see, these first three virtues speak directly to all things relating to sex and sexual thoughts and conduct that happen between us and others. Now, these are the things that can happen both in marriage and outside of marriage, because we also sometimes think, oh, one day when I get married, all these things I struggled with will go away. No, they don't. They are things that we will still struggle with, and so we're called to chip away at it. You see, then he goes on with the next two to say, here are some more things that are in your heart, and these are the things you strongly desire, or when you wish harm towards one another. And then he goes on to say, there's greed, which takes the form of us wanting some sort of power beyond what we need, desiring that at all costs. And you see, this also talks about status and material gain and all the things that fall into that category. And Paul puts these things together, particularly the last two, and says, this is idolatry. Now, why is that idolatry? Because that's what's now sitting on the throne of our hearts where Jesus rightfully deserves to be seated. In other words, the things that we put in front of God in our daily lives and in our conduct, that is idolatry. Move with me now to verse eight and nine. He says about the things that come out of us and the things that we speak. He says, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, again, this seems like a pretty self-explanatory list. However, it does carry a significant weight in our lives, which is why it's being brought to our attention to consciously think about the words that we speak to one another and our conduct as we engage with one another. And I think this is one of the very real struggles we as Christians face every day, is that when we look to the cross, or when we think about Jesus, we know our eternal status in front of him. We know what is to come ahead, but every day here in this life, we struggle with all these things. And so, if you find yourself asking this question, how far can I go before I'm crossing a line with God, whatever that looks like in your life? I think this is what this is already speaking to. This is legalism because we're trying to find what these boundaries are. And it actually clearly shows the intentions of our heart. And so what this is teaching us is to think very deeply about our daily routines, uh, our thoughts and our actions because they matter to God and to God's people. All these things are what we've died to already. And so we are to be putting these things off consciously. And so when we read scripture again and again, I don't think we're ever once gently nudged to do these things. We're always strongly instructed, put these things off. This is not what reflects Christ. He has already put these things to death and you've been freed from them. So live this way. John Owen, a 17th century theologian, I think really beautifully puts this picture together for us. He, when he writes in his book about uh, battling 
uh, sin in our lives. He says this, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's not our job here in this life to put sin utterly to death, because that's only what Christ can do, and that's what only Christ has done. And so, as long as we're human beings living here as we pass through this lives, the reality is we will always be fighting against these things. Now, we don't all struggle with the same sins. So just because I don't struggle the same way that George does or the same way that Larissa does, doesn't mean that I have put to death the ways that Christ has died and accomplished for me. So it's also, he goes on to say, it's not overcoming one sin and then getting better at another. Let me give you an example. I might have very good control over my tongue, so I might not slander, I might not swear, but here's what now this has accomplished in my heart, is that I'm now full of pride. And when I look at everyone else who's doing what I've now overcome, I look at you as a Pharisee. And I say, look at that, look at that you need to watch your tongue. Now, this is not an instruction not to help one another, but it's what's in our heart. So what does he go on to say that putting sin to death looks like? He says this, as we grow in our walks with God, as we come together, as we sing songs, and we read the Psalms, and we come together as this community, what we will see in our lives is a habitual weakening of sin. So we don't struggle in the same way today that we would have last week or five years ago or 10 years ago. And you might find that there are some things that you no longer struggle with, but then there are other things that we need to put our focus to. So this is a sign then that with God's help, you are putting sin to death because your focus is on God's way, not the way of the world. So. Looking at verse seven and 12 here, notice how Paul's words to the church in Colossae aren't condemning. Have a read of that. He says, you used to walk in these ways. That was what your hearts and minds were filled with. You have put on the new self. So let's not forget, this isn't something we accomplish on our own. We can't do that on our own strength. It is only by the strength of the Holy Spirit who helps us to be empowered to imitate Jesus. And so he goes on to give us another picture of how this works in our lives. He says, this new self is being renewed both in knowledge and in the image of its creator. So here and now, we are being renewed until that day. We're given new hearts and we're given a new spirit and these things together with God's help is what helps us respond to God and to follow Jesus' ways. Because he says, Christ is all and Christ is in all who are his. Therefore, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. And you see he goes on to give another list of things here. So he says, there's no Jew or Gentile, so nothing by race can separate us. There's no classism here. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no more demands by the law or works that you can do to think that you distinguish yourself from one another. He goes on to say there's no more barbarian, no Scythian. Um, For those who don't know what that is, Scythians are people who were considered at that time to be very uncultured, 
violent, um, and also inferior people. We're all in Christ brought to one status. And there's no slave or free because we're all free in Christ. Notice everything that's mentioned here. These are characteristics that harm and divide us as people. And it's what we often see around us all the time. So if we are not putting these sorts of things to death each and every day, how impossible a reality for us to love one another and live in community and unity. How impossible to shine the light of Christ into this world if we don't do this together. And so what this helps us understand is in doing these things by putting this off, we are now living in preparation for the lives that God has called us to live when Christ returns. And so this is the glory with Christ picture that we see. Continue with me as we look to our next section. Here we'll think about and learn about what it looks like to live and grow in our new identity in Christ. So look at verses 12 to 14 with me. I think the words used here are beautiful if you really read it for what it says. Because it's no small thing to be called chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God Almighty. Because when we're joined with Christ, the way the Father sees you is as his precious son and his precious daughter. That is a picture that you can't see anywhere else. And so, as Jesus' ways shapes all of our affections as we look to things above, and as our desires are now being reformed, and as we are told here, we're being renewed in order to live out this identity here. We're not just living it out then when he calls us home. We do it here now. And so, how beautiful is it to know that this is our status here now? As Jesus changes us from the inside and as he changes us from the outside, he does this by transforming us with his beautiful character. And so, how do we see this play out? The very ways in which Jesus himself walked are the same ways we are called to resemble. And so you and I as a community are meant to be walking like this. We're supposed to be compassionate and kind to one another. We are supposed to be gentle and patient in our responses. And boy, that is very hard at times to do because not all people are very easy to deal with all the time. But here's how we're told to, to live. And here's one more thing that we see. Our pride and our egos are now being changed to humility as Christ softens our heart and changes our behaviors. And so, we are then told to continue on in doing this as we bear with one another, not withholding forgiveness. Friends, we don't have the right to do that to one another because Christ has forgiven us far greater a debt than what we could ever forgive someone. Now that is not to take away from the reality of the pain and suffering that we do experience here in this life, but it is something that we are called for our hearts to do. Now, reality check. Again, we are human beings and we don't live this out well. When we think about the brokenness of our world, the brokenness that comes from the way things happen sometimes, even within the community of believers, 
we don't live this out well, I don't live this out well, I'm not gonna pretend like I do. But this is why, friends, we are called to keep turning to Jesus every single time because he is there to help us live out these very things which are impossible for us to live out. And so we strive in every way to show each other what Christ has shown to us. The Jesus way calls for us above all these virtues, and that's not to put aside these virtues, along with all those things, put love right on top. Why? Because this is what binds us together in perfect unity. And this is what Paul now moves to. So we've gone about, uh, so far looking at the things that happen in us and the, the changes that occur in us as an individual, and now we go on to the community life. And so verses 15 to 17 talk about what it looks like to be united in Christ and to live completely for him. Now, I think most of you were here last Sunday. Uh, we celebrated the baptism of two of our dear brothers uh, here at St. Jude's. Now, for everyone's benefit, baptism is a, uh, a declaration and an outward expression of a change that occurs inside us. And so as Jesus changes us to recognize him and to put our sins in front of him and say we're sorry, he calls us into new life with him. And we see some of this happening in other parts of Colossians. And what do we see happen on Sunday? Kong and Ed professed Jesus as their Lord and savior of their lives. And they said, in submitting to Jesus, here's what we're doing. We're sorry for our sins and we vow to turn from godless livings and renounce Satan. And these are some of the words that were there from the service in itself. And with God's help, they said, we would strive to live as disciples of Jesus, to love God and to love neighbor till our life's end. Do you see how this journey is not just a, it stops here, but it keeps going on to our life's end. And together, we as a church said this, we cheered them on and we promised our support to them, saying we will help you in this journey, just as we do with everyone else in the body. And I think this worship service is one example of, out of very, uh, quite a lot, one example of how beautifully these next few verses come together. And so, under Christ, we're all one body, or one huge family, and we've heard this language tonight, and we're called to peace. Now, I want us to stop and think about this because when we're talking about peace here, this is not just a mere emotional state. It is to really grasp this fact. We are now at peace with God. This is a divine gift of grace and it can't happen unless you are in Christ. This helps us really tune ourselves and enable us to decide how we approach relationships here in our lives now, both with Christians and to those who don't profess Christ as Lord. And as the gospel is preached every Sunday, here we hear that, we're being filled, as the next verses say, with heavenly wisdom and knowledge, and we're shown the importance of corporate worship or when we come together. And so we sing together, we learn to apply the Bibles together in our daily lives, and we admonish one another, or in other words, we help one another uh, particularly when we're in the wrong. It's experienced here like we are tonight on Sundays. 
It's also experienced when we are being discipled through things like small groups or Christian union or conventions or the many events that we are always called to be a part of. Friends, do you see how this is a picture of kingdom living here? Do you realize that this is pointing us to what our lives that are now hidden in Christ will look like when Christ calls us to glory with him? Where we experience the exceeding joys of all of life living together as one people under King Jesus. Friends, we're called to be a community filled with joy and gratitude toward God, always. And so that's why we pray that all our words and every work that we commit ourselves to are done in his name, not in ours. And so, when God gives us these opportunities to do so, this is why it goes on to say, we thank him always. So, since Jesus took upon himself all of God's wrath for our sins, here's one thing that we need to know that when we do fall, which we do, when we approach God, we're not approaching a God who's angry or hates you or is despised at you. When we approach him, we're told that we approach him both humbly and boldly because we've already died to this life of sin and we are forgiven people. And Jesus' resurrection is the proof of this. And so, as I bring this to a close, Let's revisit the big question that Paul was helping us answer at the start. What does it mean to live now as those made alive in Christ? Dear Christian, be filled with all assurance that you've already been made alive. I know I've repeated this a lot, and I think it's important to repeat this again and again. You've died to this life with Christ, and you've been brought to life with Christ, and so, all guilt and accusation of sin has been taken away on your account. So that's why he goes on to say, let his words and peace rule your hearts and fill your minds that you may do everything thankfully to him. And so we put on love and compassion and we put on all his good virtues and we help one another in putting this on and we help one another in living this out. And so we put on these things to help one another so that we walk in this life in the same way we will in his glory. And so Charles Spurgeon, I think, rightly says this about the victory that we have in Jesus. He says, remember that the Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways. First, he came to take the penalty away from us. He came to take away the power of sin and he came to take the presence of sin. Now, this third one particularly will be what we fully experience when Christ returns. And I think this is why we also sing songs like this. This life I live is not my own, for my Redeemer paid the price. He took it to be his alone, to be his treasure and his prize. The things of earth I now leave behind to live in worship of my King. His is the right to rule my life. Mine is the joy to live for him. We don't just sing words, but we live these out every day. Brothers and sisters, whether this is the first time you're hearing this or the hundredth time, or you've got 101 questions about how this all works together, let me encourage you to sincerely ask Jesus of this, to give you strength and understanding, to work out what this looks like, 
that you can put your trust in him. Because if in fact he did rise and now is seated beside the Father, and this is true, then your response to this life does matter. We're all equally sinners. We're all equally needing to be forgiven by God. And Paul's words are here, are very clear. God's wrath is coming on all ungodliness and patterns of this world, and we will all be judged for that. But you too can have this same peace knowing that you can have this same hope and the promise of living a resurrected life now because of him. And so, if you're trying to work this out, please have a chat to Sam or Larissa or any of your Christian friends and let them help you work these things out. Consider coming along to things like Christianity Explored where you can ask your questions because God promises to meet you like this. He will meet you with compassion. He will meet you with kindness. He will meet you with mercy. And most of all, he will meet you with love. Remember, only Jesus can help you put to death sin. Only Jesus can help you put on your new identity and live this out in this life. And so, as Paul said, let me say the same. Fix your affections heavenward. Turn your hearts and turn your minds to the things above. Live now and grow in this new identity. Finally, be united in Christ and live completely for him for you've already been raised to life. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your words for you do speak to us so clearly from them. Lord, this night, we pray that we are able to truly understand and live these things out. And Lord, we ask you for your spirit to help us, that we can turn our affections heavenward. Lord, that as we are filled with things that come from you, that we turn our hearts and minds away from this world so that we can grow in you. And Lord, help us as one community to help one another shine your light each and every day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.